And let me say hello to those of you that I don't know and even those of you that I do know. Hello, my name is Rob. And uh, some of you I've not seen in a while. I'm guessing there may be some of you in the room today that have not been able to be back to church until this morning. I'm so glad you're here. And I'm guessing there's some in the room that are here at Fellowship for the very first time. Welcome. Maybe you're visiting from out of town. Maybe you're visiting from in town. We're glad you're here. And, uh, you know, I was standing up here singing and Eric, Eric said it really well. There's something special about this year being able to be here. And um, it's, it's wonderful to worship online. And, and I'm so glad those of you that are joining us online are there. In fact, my parents are watching with us online. Hi, mom and dad. <laughs> but it's also right to be together. And so uh, I've been overflowing with joy all morning. And I wanna just say this, God's given us a perfect day. Uh, the weather's gorgeous. It's beautiful inside here. It's beautiful outside. I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you, as you go through the day, to just check things off. Oh, yeah, now's the time we go to Easter and dress up a little extra fancy because it's Easter. Now's the time we sit down and eat the ham. And now's the time we hunt the Easter eggs. I want you to savor each of those. Those are gifts of joy. And if your hope is in Jesus Christ, which is what we're about to talk about for the next 30 minutes, if your hope is in Jesus Christ, then your joy from these moments will not terminate on the moments themselves. Your joy will transcend them, pointing to a time and a place where it will be never ending. And that's what these little things are today. They're just little gifts. They're little appetizers to us. So enjoy them and enjoy them in a way that spills out over into worship. Now, for those of you that call Fellowship Bible Church your home, you know that we, we teach here in, in what we call expositional teaching, which means we're going to have a few verses or a short paragraph, and we're going to break it down, and we're going to talk about it verse by verse. Occasionally, we might teach only one verse. I love those weeks because you can dig deeper into each word. This morning, we're going to only teach one word, and I couldn't be more thrilled about it. Just one word. Can anybody guess what word we're going to dig into this morning? Hallelujah. How did you know? Yeah, yeah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Okay, second question. Can anyone guess how many times, wait, hallelujah and hallelujah are the same word. Let me say that. Let me just say that, okay? Same word spelled differently. Can anyone guess how many times we've already sang that word? Just take, take your right. Just throw something out there. Come on. 30. Who said 30? Raise your 32. Are you counting? We got like Rain Man right there. He's like, yeah, 32. We've already said the word 32 times. Now, I, my objective in this message are just three very small, small things this morning. Number one, I want to explain why this word may well be the most important word ever invented in any language. Small thing number two, why this word is completely meaningless apart from the resurrection of Jesus. And small thing number three, why making this word a true expression of your heart is the most life-giving thing you will ever do. Now, because one of our core values here at Fellowship is courageously real, and that means we're authentic with one another and we don't try to pretend we have all the answers or that any of us are, are put together right and well. We're all messes. Because of that core value, I wanna ask you this question. Who is honest enough to raise your hand and say, you know what, I've been singing that word 32 times and I'm not 100% sure I know what it means fully. 
Okay, I was like, come on, there you, there it is, right? The other services, maybe I asked the question differently. Most people's hands went up. Guys, that was me like four weeks ago and I've been to seminary, okay? Before I started really digging into this word, I was not 100% sure all that it meant. It is a compound Hebrew word. That means it's two Hebrew words that are smushed together to make one new word. And uh, we'll, we'll put this on the screen so you can see it. Let me go to my airplay here. All right, so the, the compound word that this is coming from are, are two words put together that make hallelujah. The first word is hallel, which is a Greek, or sorry, Hebrew, Hebrew verb that simply means praise. And the second word is yah, which is a shortened form of the personal name of God, Yahweh. By the way, the Hebrew people did not pronounce the divine name. They would substitute other, other words for God like Adonai. So this was about as close as they would come to pronouncing the divine name when they would say hallelujah. It means praise Yahweh. Now don't get thrown off by the you that's in the middle of that. That's just what happens when you conjugate hallel into the form that is in here. And it's a kind of a command, praise Yahweh. And then don't get confused by the J in Yah instead of the Y. That's English has spelled the divine name differently when it's been transliterated over into English. But it's praise Yahweh. That's what it means. Now, it's a very special word for a lot of reasons. Would you believe that we have already sang it more times this morning than it appears in the entire Bible? It only appears in the Bible 27 times. 23 in the Old Testament, four in the New Testament. The 23 occurrences in the Old Testament are all in Psalms. Psalms 104 to 150. Those were the Psalms of praise. Uh, think about the book of Psalms as a trajectory to it. There's more lamentation Psalms than praise Psalms in the first half. There are more praise Psalms than lamentation Psalms in the back half. So what that means is the trajectory of the Psalms moves from the harsh hardness of life to the praising of Yahweh and the glory of Yahweh at the end. And it were these Psalms at the end that were used for special holidays and festival worship like Passover and many other times. That's how the word is used in the Old Testament. Only four instances in the New Testament and they're all in Revelation 19, which is a vision that God gave John of the marriage supper of the lamb when people from every tribe and tongue and nation all throughout history will be gathered together praising God. And this is the word that we will be saying, hallelujah, hallelujah. So let me walk through my three points. Number one, I wanna explain why I think this word may be the most important word invented ever in any language. Do you notice, first of all, that the word is transliterated into English, not translated into English? That means it, it's not, we, we don't say praise the Lord. We, we do at times, but when it appears in our English Bibles, it comes over right as it's written, hallelujah. That means it's pronounced in English the same way it's pronounced in Hebrew. And in fact, that's true for all the major languages on earth. In Russian, it's hallelujah. In uh, um, Arabic, it's hallelujah. In French, it's hallelujah. In Spanish and Italian, it's hallelujah. Here's what that means. And this blew my mind this week when I thought about this. This word is the one word in our worship service that 
a person of God from a thousand years before the time of Christ, right up to the present, from anywhere in the world would recognize that word and would worship with us with that word this morning. Hallelujah. Do you think we're gonna be saying this word in heaven, singing this word in heaven? You better believe it. Let me break this word down a little further into its two parts and we really start to see why I think this word is so important. Uh, hallel, let's start with that one. Hallel means praise. Now, let, let's pull it out of the religious context and then we'll put it back in the religious context. Hallel can be used in all kinds of ways, not just praising God. In fact, human beings are designed to praise things and people. We do it naturally whether you believe in God or not, you praise all the time. We're hardwired to praise things. Anything we encounter that brings us excitement or energy or happiness or joy, we talk about it. We, we, we tell other people, did you see that? Have you read this? Have you tasted that? That's praise. Halal simply means to celebrate something, to proclaim its value or its excellence or its beauty or of its worth. And it can be used in all these other contexts. What I'm trying to get you to see is human beings were born, engineered, created to do this. And we do it very naturally. C.S. Lewis, who was much smarter than me, wrote a lot about this idea of praise. Here's what he wrote about praise. The world rings with praise Walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, cars, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. I like how he said that, even sometimes politicians. He concludes this thought this way. Praise almost seems to be inner health made audible. When you are alive, when you are a fully functioning human being and you come across something that brings you joy or energy or excitement or happiness, you will praise it. You cannot help it. So praise is what we were designed to do. But even more than that, the praise brings us more Fulfillment, the praise brings us more joy. Again, C.S. Lewis says this very brilliantly. He wrote, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch or to hear a good joke and have no one to share it with. And we can all identify with these kinds of things. And then he says this, all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise because it's what you were made to do and it's what brings even more joy to you. So I'd summarize this this way. Praise is a big part of what makes life worth living. But we have a problem. Our problem is that nearly everything we praise lets us down. 
nearly everything we praise is just a, a momentary thing that is it's gone and we're left with that empty feeling. Oh, I want that again. I need that again. So think about it, guys. Your greatest relationships in your life, they will let you down. They will. They have, they will. The weather, as beautiful as it is today, the weather will change. It's, in a while, it's gonna be too hot. You know, that's, just, that's just how it works. Food and drink are momentary. It's like you enjoy them, they're wonderful, and then they pass, <laughs> quite literally. Hobbies become blasé. You ever like found the new hobby that you just, it's like fills you with life. And you're like, I'm gonna keep doing this more and more and more. You do it enough, eventually it's gonna get old. The, the, it's a diminishing return. That's how this works. Uh, houses. I mean, so, so much of us, you just, we spend so much of our time and energy and money having a beautiful, wonderful place to dwell. It breaks. It falls apart. It requires constant attention. Books have a last page. Movies have a final scene. Nothing ever fully satisfies. So here's how you're created, guys. Your heart is like a heat-seeking missile. It moves toward where it senses there is joy and delight and fulfillment and happiness. And then it lands there and there's nothing solid that's there. So it says, oh, that was only partially fulfilling. Let me turn over here. And you're going to seek some other joy and fulfillment. And many of you, this is the story of your life, just going from one hope to another and finding less than satisfaction there. This is where the second word of our compound word comes in. Halal. Yah. If you think about it long enough, you'll realize that your craving for an ultimate object of supreme value can only be satisfied by the supreme being. And not just the concept of a God, but the experience, the personal experience of God in a meaningful way. Throughout human history, people have been trying to find this. This is why there's so many religions on the earth. This is why even today, people that say, well, well, I'm agnostic or I'm an atheist, but I'm spiritual. I'm getting in touch with my inner being. There, there, there's something there that I'm trying to find. You see, we're all searchers. We're all seekers trying to find the ultimate supreme thing of worth and value so that we may praise because that's what we were designed to do. When the time was right, God revealed himself. And he did that in a number of ways, but one of the high points of the Old Testament was when he revealed his name, Yahweh, which is not a, he, not just, it, it's not a Hebrew word for God. Yahweh is the personal name of God. So it's like, you know, Rob, I am Rob. He is Yahweh. And it can't perfectly be translated into English, but the closest we can come is, I am who I am. It captures this eternity of God that he is and will be and always has been. He revealed his name first to Moses and then later to all the people of Israel. And one way to think about the entire story of the nation of Israel is that God was revealing his name to a people 
so that through that people, the whole rest of the earth would come to know him personally, would come to know his name and would come to hallelujah to finally find the supreme object of their praise. So the Hebrew people put these two words together. Hallel, Yah, praise Yahweh. And they gave the earth a single word that captures both the supreme purpose of mankind, which is to praise, and the supreme object of mankind's praise, which is Yahweh. And I believe this revelation, this word and what the word conveys and what the word means is the greatest gift that God gave the world through the nation of Israel up until the time of Jesus Christ. And so this one word, if you think about it, think about how many questions this word answers. The deepest questions of life, this word answers. Why am I here? Hallelujah. What's the purpose of life? Hallelujah. What am I to be doing right now with my life, with myself? Hallelujah. What will I be doing in eternity? Hallelujah. You see, this one word answers all the questions in a sense. And that's why I believe it is very arguably the most important word ever invented in any language. And yet... As important as it is, it would be completely meaningless apart from the resurrection of Jesus. This is point number two. How could I say that? Especially since the Hebrews that were singing this word in the Psalms, they, they didn't know Jesus yet. Hold on to that thought. Here's the reason why I believe this word is meaningless apart from the resurrection of Jesus. Because without an answer for death... All joy ultimately ends in loss. And all praise ultimately ends in silence. Everything on earth is dying. My body is dying. Your body is dying. These beautiful flowers in our worship center, give them a few days. They're going to be no more. I mean, they've been cut. They're literally dying right now as they're hanging in all of their beauty. Apart from Jesus, all we have on this earth are bits and pieces of earthly joy. And every one of them are momentary and elusive and unsatisfying. Everything happy comes to an end. This is the way of the world. So how can we truly say hallelujah if the ultimate end of everything is nothingness? And a lot of philosophers, secular philosophers, have come to the same conclusion. If there's, if there's nothing beyond the grave, then there's nothing... That's worth anything. Ultimately, it's all going to end. It's just all momentary, meaningless, meaningless. Does that sound familiar? Another way to think about this, if death has the final say over everything, then joy and hope are only momentary delusions. If there are no happy endings, do we actually have a reason to praise? Really? This is where the New Testament comes in. As incredible as, as God's revelation in the Old Testament, praise God, I am Yahweh, praise me, it's what you were created and born to do. As amazing as that is, it pales in comparison to the revelation of God on the first page of the New Testament. 
In the Old Testament, God revealed his name. In the New Testament, God revealed himself in the flesh. Yahweh came to be with us. He came to dwell with us in this dead and dying world. And then for two very dark days in Jerusalem, it seemed that even Yahweh himself had been overcome with death. And so I want to take you to Matthew chapter 28. And I want to read some verses. And you're, you're welcome to turn there. I'm, I'm, they're not going to be on the screen. I'm going to read them to you. I, I want us to catch up with two women who loved Jesus very much when they're on their way to the tomb. Guys, these women were not saying hallelujah when they're on the way to the tomb. The most loving man who had ever lived and their close personal friend was dead. All their hope had been snuffed out. As far as they knew, they had no reason to believe any good thing would ever happen again. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, that's today, Sunday. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay, lay past tense. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear, and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Now that's verse eight. Before I read verse nine, I'm about to tell you, you're about to hear the moment the world changed for these women. And behold, Jesus met them. And he said, greetings, I don't love that translation. The word was a common Greek greeting of the day. It's the Greek word Cairo, but do you know what it means literally? Rejoice, be glad, have joy. Jesus came to them. They weren't even seeking him at that point in time. They were running back to the disciples. Jesus intercepts them. He shows up, he comes to them and he says, rejoice, be glad. Finished the verse, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Guys, they worshiped him. I, I, Hebrew people do not worship anything except the one true God. Do you understand that? There was a realization as soon as these women saw Jesus. They didn't understand he was God before he rose from the dead. They knew he was Messiah, but they didn't have a concept for God in a person, as a person. The, the, the incarnation had, had not yet sunk in with them. 
Such was their surprise and their delight and fear and shock. All they could do was fall down. And I just imagine the tears flowing and the blubbering and they're just like, wow, and why? They, they just are probably afraid to look up at his eyes, just crying tears and holding onto his feet. Suddenly, it was no longer true to them that everything good ends in death. And it was no longer true in the creation that everything good ends in death. Jesus broke that pattern. The pattern of death that had been established all the way back in Genesis chapter three. Life, death. Life, death. Life, death. Life, death. Life, death, resurrection. In breaking this pattern, he broke the stranglehold that death has had over God's creation. And he introduced into the world a whole new possibility. The possibility that joy and praise and life itself can transcend the grave. The possibility, the promise that our praise and the praise of the entire universe when it's directed toward Jesus Christ will keep on going on and on and on further up and further in. And this is the time that you can respond with the word, hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you, Luke. Okay, I'm gonna do that a couple more times, so fair warning. Hallelujah. Now, yes, that was beautiful. Last point, why making this word a true expression of your heart is the most life-giving thing you will ever do. When you say hallelujah as a Christian, I mean, I'm not talking about, oh, my parents and grandparents are Christians. I guess I'm a Christian. No, no, no as a follower of Jesus, when you say hallelujah, which you just did, and I'm gonna call you to again before it's all over. When you say hallelujah as a Christian, here's what you're doing. You are directing your praise toward Yahweh as revealed in the Old Testament and the fullness of revelation in the person of Jesus Christ in the New Testament because he is one and the same. You are proclaiming to both Yahweh and the people around you, whoever's in earshot, and even to your own self. You are proclaiming that you've come to believe that Jesus is the ultimate target toward which the arrow of your praise has been seeking since the moment you took your first breath. You are saying... I will stake my joy on Jesus Christ because he's the fullness and completion of my lack. He's the center of my heart's desire. He is the only source of real life that is in me. You are saying there is no other answer for the deadness inside my own soul apart from Jesus Christ. You are saying there's no other object of praise that can compete with compared to or stand beside the person of Jesus Christ in my heart. That is what it means to say, hallelujah. 
how does someone come to say it like that? I'm going to end with this, and it's very important because many of you in the room have never said hallelujah and meant that. And others of you in the room have meant that at times of your life, but you, you've never put that meaning on this word. And we're going to have a chance to sing another hallelujah song. And what I desire for you is to feel the joy of expressing hallelujah the way I just stated it. How does anyone come to say this word with their heart? It is a work of the Spirit of God who loves you so intensely that he pursues you and opens up your eyes to the love of Jesus for you. It starts with the realization of your own need an awakening to your complete spiritual poverty. This is not easy to do for men and women that think they're overall pretty good. It requires the posture of a beggar. In other words, someone who, who realizes I'm spiritually bankrupt. I've got nothing to bring to the table to meet my own need. And then from that place of readiness, you simply dare to believe that Jesus loves you as you are in your need. You, you dare to believe that, that even though you have no ability to move toward him, he has moved toward you. You, you dare to believe that, that if, if you can let down your pride that, that is keeping you from asking him to reach down in the muck to pull you up, if you can let your pride down long enough to actually just look up for rescue, he's there. He's there because he loves you so much more than you even realize. I want to say something to you that I've been thinking about for a long time and I didn't exactly know the way to say it. In the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation, there is not a single instance I can find of anyone ever coming to God humbly and asking for mercy that did not receive it. But there are plenty of examples of men and women who did not believe they needed it. And so they did not ask and they did not receive. I, I, I want you to hear me say this. The love of Jesus for you is deeper than you can imagine. No amount of sin or brokenness or, or even hardness of heart can turn him away from you. In fact, the greater you feel the weight of your own sin and brokenness and need and just, just how far apart you are from him, the, the greater you realize that, the greater you're just pressing yourself down into the grace and love and mercy of Jesus Christ. So if your heart could be a little soft this morning, which would be a work of the Spirit, Cry out to him in faith to rescue you. For some of you, maybe for the first time. For others of you, just a fresh realization of your need and his love for you. Just cry out 
Just cry out in your own minds. Just understand, Jesus, I have such need and yet you have such love for me. And guys, you will never be disappointed by Jesus Christ when you come at him that way. When you come low and you come small and you come needy, he will always lift you up. That is the only direction that salvation works is God reaching down and lifting you up. And then, whether today for the first time or whether today for the thousandth time, you'll come to see that you have been pursued and loved by the very object that you thought you were pursuing. He found you. He loved you. And then the only word that can well up in your heart is this. It's hallelujah. This is the word you were made to say. And this is the word that can become the song you were meant to sing. And that song will never end. That is the song that we're gonna be singing on repeat, on repeat for eternity. And so we're gonna have a chance to practice that. We're gonna sing one more song and we're gonna have a chance to reflect on our salvation and we're gonna say hallelujah. Let me pray for us right now. Father, even by your spirit, would you open our hearts? Even right now, as much as there are men and women in the room who wanna believe and yet there's something that, it's hard for them to go there. And God, I just pray, would you break through that the, the crust, whatever that is. And God, I pray that even right now, there'd be people in this room or maybe watching online that would say, you know, I don't know that I've ever approached Jesus from a low place calling out to him for mercy. And I pray that they would do that, that they would recognize their neediness and they would just find Jesus' love reaching down to pull them up. And I pray, Father, that this would be a sincere moment of faith for them that would change their lives forever. And I pray for many others in the room that, that even though they've come to Christ earlier in their life, that this morning even would be a renewed sense of the tenderness of your love for them, that they would start to be overcome even in their soul with how good you are and how much you love them and that how even though they deserve no love from you, they've received abundant, amazing, inconceivable love from you and that that realization would overflow out of them and the word that they would say and speak and sing would just be hallelujah, praise Yahweh, praise the Son, praise the Father, praise the Spirit, praise you, oh God, Thank you for loving us and rescuing us. And we pray and we sing now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand to our feet and let's worship.